Hey there, this is Dave Canise. I'm the creator and host of the Agents of Innovation podcast. I've spent the past 30 years deep inside the global innovation economy at the intersection of brand strategy, design, management consulting, venture capital, product, marketing, and executive recruiting, working with visionaries at hundreds of the world's great companies and the startups on the way to becoming tomorrow's most exciting ones. I've coached hundreds of leaders through job searches, personal branding, and the reinvention of their careers. One of the biggest things I've learned on my journey, products, brands, services, experiences, and technologies that become world-changing, life-changing, and industry-changing only make it from idea to reality because of agents of change. I call them agents of innovation. This podcast was created to introduce you to them. We'll explore their stories and their superpowers, and I hope they inspire you. Thanks for listening. And please reach out if I can help you. You can get me anytime at dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. That's dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. On to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm somewhat obsessed by Amazon, how it operates, how it continues to innovate, and how it's become an integral part of all of our lives. Odds are that you're a Prime subscriber because 147 million Americans are. Just for context, that's roughly 50% of our population in the United States. Um, Even more interesting, 74% of U.S. consumers begin their product searches on the Amazon site now, not Google and definitely not on Bing. More than half of U.S. consumers say that if they were only able to buy products from one single store, it would be Amazon. We all know Amazon is big, but you may not know how big. Here are some other mind-blowing stats. Amazon generated $386 billion in revenue in 2020, making it the third largest company in the world by revenue, behind only Walmart and the China Petrochemical Corporation. It's only one of four companies ever to surpass $1 trillion in market capitalization. It's $1.5 trillion in 2021. Amazon Web Services was responsible for 11% of that revenue um, and $21 billion in net income in 2020 uh, for Amazon, half of which came from Amazon Web Services. So every company now needs to have an Amazon strategy. Whether you're selling on Amazon, using their services, or selling a product or service that Amazon can also offer, Amazon always needs to be on your radar. I actually believe that how a company, especially a product company, shows on Amazon is just as important as, if not more important than all of their other marketing initiatives, particularly when you look at 74% of U.S. consumers beginning product searches there. So I'm way more than someone excited to have John Rossman on the Agents of Innovation podcast today. In 2002, John was hired as the Director of Merchant Integration to play a key role in scaling the newly launched Amazon Marketplace business. Today, that business accounts for well over 50% of all orders at Amazon and has over 2 million sellers. It's an ecosystem that impacts global supply chains and is one of the quote-unquote dreamy businesses that Jeff Bezos likes to talk about. But the success of this business wasn't guaranteed. Um, In fact, it failed multiple times. And there were many, many lessons to not only learn from launching and scaling the Amazon marketplace business, but from Amazon itself. So John Rossman is the author of the Amazon Way series of books and the founder and CEO of Rossman Partners. You can find him at rossmanpartners.com or theamazonway.com. And his 
email newsletter is the digital leader that you can find on Substack. So welcome, John. Great to have you on the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks for coming this morning. David, thanks for the invitation and for the nice introduction. Absolutely. So I'd love to learn more about um, kind of what you're doing now, Rossman Partners, and how you describe what the Amazon way is. Sure. So um, Rossman Partners, is it, it, my wife always jokes like, who's the S in Rossman Partners? And I always point at our French bulldog. Um, but um, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's just me and kind of the business is split. You know, it's half keynote speaking, half advisory work. So I, I work with clients on helping them either on their innovation agenda or, or adding customer centricity to the business. I don't consult, but I advise uh, the business and um, I've got just a great, you know, selection of clients and topics. And the thing I love most about the business is I learn more than than I get to contribute uh, to my clients because I get to work across so many industries and so many different, you know, leaders and leadership models. And so it just, you know, fuels my learning, which then funnels back into, you know, the writing and, and, and my hobby of writing these books. So the Amazon Way book itself has been a bestseller and um, really describes the principles that have contributed to Amazon's success and kind of the culture of Bezosism, if you will. Um, how do you describe the Amazon Way? Well, um, I think the Amazon Way is always about um, a combination of both operational excellence and delivering today for today's promise, living up to your brand promise. And then two, it's leaning into the future, right? Bezos talks about being a day one company and it's about constant reinvention and having the willingness to wander, um, not trying to be efficient and reinvent or invent new customer experiences and new business models. And I think that is really the Amazon way is realizing an organization has to do both. And that's what I think a real digital organization is about, is about both operational excellence and wandering, right? Like inventing and having the the willingness to explore um, adjacencies and new capabilities. And wandering is a fascinating idea and a fascinating concept, right? The word of innovation is such a cliche these days. Um, it you know is used to mean so many things, but um, meaning new. And when you talk about wandering um, in a big company, it's probably easy to wander and get lost quite easily. So how does a large company, uh, not just Amazon, but others, kind of um, have some form of controlled or guided wandering. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, I would say in a big company, it's easy to get to wander and get shot, right? Like, like those, those don't tend to be career building um, initiatives. And that's the challenge they have is because essentially everything we've learned about in management science is plan, execute, deliver your promises, recycle. Well, you know, wandering is different, right? It, and the key term there is is guided wandering, which means you maybe have some themes from your perspective on the future, what you think your strategy is, um, what you, your durable customer needs are, and figure out ways to take small experiments um, in order to test, learn, and then adjust going forward. But the whole goal is at first, you have to understand it's a different game that we're playing here, right? We're not trying to be highly efficient the way we think of high efficiency in a business. We're trying to be efficient 
towards learning, right? So one of the things I do, you know, there's this whole concept of fail fast or fail forward, but that term failure um, is a really misunderstood and uh, term. It's overloaded. It can be misused. So, you know, use the term experimentation or testing um, instead of, of failure because that, that word failure, again, comes with, with a lot of baggage and problems. It also means poor execution, poor decision-making, poor accountability. Well, those are not the things that we uh, espouse to in wandering, right? We're all about great decisions, fast decisions. We are all about accountability, getting things done. We're all about being a builder, but we are wandering. We are trying to test things out and understand something uh, to try to get to an end game. And I think the other thing that goes along is, is just the willingness to understand if you focus on the inputs into innovation, trust, you will get the right outputs, but it, ta it takes patience, right? And I think that's the real understated superpower of Amazon is that element of, of patience. Um, the marketplace business that I got to help launch and scale at Amazon in 2002, that was actually the, th the third iteration of some type of third party selling at Amazon. Even as early as 2002, that was the third try. The, the first was auctions. The second was a, 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 an approach called Z Shops. As Bezos said, unfortunately, nobody showed up, right? They weren't good customer experiences. They weren't good seller experiences. And um, so in Amazon, you know, we were, we had our first billion dollar quarter in holiday 2002 versus revenues, you said, of Amazon today. I mean, it's got, it's in the $450 billion, you know, annual revenue today, right? It was a much smaller company. We only had a billion dollars of receivables uh, on the balance sheet or, or cash on the balance sheet. We were struggling. Stock was at $6. Everybody, not just externally, but internally was hesitant about it. But, you know, Bezos created this small band of pirates internal to Amazon to take another crack. And he always talks about um, being fixed on vision, but flexible on tactics. And so early on, he was demonstrating like, I know I have to have a third party selling platform, but I'm willing to try different tactics relative to that. Um, and it really took several years, even after we launched it in holiday 2002, it wasn't until about 2008, 2009, when the marketplace really started to make a difference, both to customers and to the business. And, you know, not, not inconsequentially, that's when the Amazon stock started to go up too, right? What everybody remembers is kind of the last 12 years of Amazon stock when it's been up and to the right. There was a period about nine years there where the stock was essentially flat. Um, and at a company like Amazon, where all real compensation is tied to stock appreciation, it, you know, it was a really different time to be a leader at Amazon. Amazing. There's so much that you said in there. Um, particularly, I remember, you know, those years where the stock was flat, where the company, you know, wouldn't give guidance to analysts um, on purpose so that it wouldn't be judged on the kind of quarter to quarter, um, you know, uh, hamster wheel that so many companies and CEOs get onto. So many things you said in there uh, to kind of dig into, um, but particularly maybe starting with the idea of experimentation uh, versus failure, right? The idea of fail fast means we'll try something. If it doesn't work, we'll kind of, you know, 
uh, learn from it and move on. But actually, most companies don't seem to learn from it. And when you talk about experimentation, experimentation means that you have kind of standards and guidelines and data um, that you're looking to collect um, and measure and learn from. How does that type of thing work? And what were the types of, you know, data or um, KPIs that the company would look like or look at around, you know, experiments? Well, you know, the, the, the number one metric always is about adoption, right? And, and, you know, the, the, the underlying lesson of just always be questioning your metrics, more metrics, um, the better creating, um, SLAs for those important things around availability and performance to customers, but really trying to measure the customer experience um, is important. But, you know, this is really where uh, the, the Amazon leadership principles come into play. And, you know, there's a couple of famous ones, right? Customer obsession is number one, invent and simplify is number three, but there's a set of them that, that don't really get as much airtime and play. There's, there's learn and be curious uh, there's insist on the highest standards. There's think big and have a bias for action. All of these different leadership principles, it, when used correctly, and that's that's the big challenge is is, is using them correctly, um, help create the right type of of playing field or or game plan that allows leaders for the right moment for the you know whether I'm operating and scaling or whether I'm experimenting on something new, knowing, well, what type of game am I playing, right? The whole the whole premise is you have to run the right play, the right playbook for the right moment in the game that you're playing. You can't stick to just one playbook. And, and you know, as we talked about earlier, like, I think that's the fundamental challenge is, is that everything we've learned in, in management science is about efficiency and predictability back to wandering is a slightly different uh, game that you have to play. You still want to be extremely thoughtful about what you're doing and how you're testing. Um, but, you know, I think it's just that, that overall awareness that we are going to encourage people to identify a problem, understand root cause, explore it through the eyes of the customer and then act on it. Right. Like one of Amazon's corporate logos or mottos is be a builder. And what they mean by that is power comes from people who actually create things, do a design, write a specification, develop code, uh, negotiate a contract. Those are all the things that a builder does versus think about what most organizations prize, right? It's being a manager, uh, having budget, having headcount, uh, administrating to things. At Amazon, the most senior people are deeply involved in designing or understanding the root cause and then going about correction. And they are the best you know, designers or the best engineers, and they make time, both personal time and systematically time is made for them to actually get their hands dirty, right? To be involved in the details. And, and that to me is part of the secret of Amazon is forming, you know, mechanisms and small teams where senior people still get to be really connected to designing 
the business and the experience as well as operating it at scale. So this idea of you know building, not just talking, um, has always been something that has fascinated me in companies, kind of doing, not just talking. Um, I always look at a company when I get there, whether it's a new client or a prospect, and kind of look at how heavily... Um, they're focused internally, kind of talking to themselves, PowerPointing to themselves. You know, to me, PowerPoint is the invisible fence of innovation um, because you're focused internally on talking to each other as opposed to getting things done, building, uh, doing, um, and making things happen and changing things. Um, when you look at that, that kind of be a builder mentality and the idea of wandering, how does the company track all these wanderers and builders, right? It, it's probably easy to go off the reservation pretty quickly and almost get into um, a hole that you've dug that you, you know, might continue to dig. But, you know, they say the, the first law of holes is when you find yourself in one, stop digging. That's funny. Um, yeah. So the, the, the generalized um, process is for, for bigger projects, bigger proposals, bigger concepts, there's an annual, you know, rationalization process, a cabal, right? It's called OP1, it stands for Operating Plan 1. Um, and it really is both about business owners presenting and describing their plan, what they hope to do from a customer standpoint, from a business standpoint, and how they're going to do it. They really focus on the inputs to achieve something. But it's also the way concepts and ideas get vetted and then resource allocation gets made and very deliberate we're doing yes on this and no on these other things. And, and I think that's one of the, the things Amazon does well is deliberate decision making on resource allocation. The underlying techniques that they do there, you mentioned PowerPoint, Amazon has this heritage of writing, right? And, and Bezos has, has written about this uh, extensively in some of his shareholder letters. But you know, we use narratives, we use future press releases, we use uh, FAQs, frequently asked questions. We do really low fidelity prototypes and get teams to really understand each other. Like what is the, what is the customer experience? Always starting with the customer. What's the customer experience? What's the superpower? What's going to delight the customer? And then working backwards to, well, what's the the string of services or capabilities that are going to enable this. This is really what customer centricity is about, is designing from a customer experience backwards um, and then writing that out. Leadership team meetings start with 15 to 20 minutes of silence where they read the narrative. They can adjust. This is where senior leaders really influence the design because then they can adjust words in that narrative and then they debate. The, the, the worthiness of this concept versus everything else, right? And so having that portfolio view is really critical. Um, and what, you know, one of the things that happens at bigger companies is, is they don't have a portfolio view. And so they just debate a topic with, without the perspective of, well, I could do this or I could do one of these nine other things, right? I can't do them all. And, and perspective is a tremendously, portfolio management is a tremendously important aspect of being in this wandering game, right? You look at a venture capital firm, well, they, 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 met, they manage a portfolio of investments, realizing that depending upon the fund that, you know, 90% of those things are going to fail. Well, it's the out, it's the winners that pay for all the losers and then some, and that's 
that's the mindset of wandering and invention is portfolio management, but you got to have enough things in the portfolio. You have to make the investments as incrementally small as possible so that you're testing and you evaluate each one on an independent basis from, you know, how do I proceed on it, right? Those are all the little mechanisms that go into being a systematic innovator. I always ask an audience, like, who here believes that, you know, innovation or reinvention is is critical to their success? Everybody kind of raises their hand. And then I ask, well, who has an actual system, uh, a deliberate approach and decision-making process relative to ideas and, and innovation? Hardly anybody ever raises their hand. And, and that just always... Like, I just think that's a, a, a critical point. We all know that we have to be doing these things, but yet we don't allocate deliberate process, resources, training um, mechanisms in order to do it. Um, and so I, the companies that can figure that out, I think, are, are, are the real winners. That is amazing, the innovation system around portfolio management. And if I backtrack that to the idea of kind of OP1 that you talked about, the, I, the annual planning, how is that managed throughout a year, throughout a calendar year, a fiscal year within that company to manage it, particularly with all the experiments and all the metrics and all the data um, that's coming together? Yeah, it's it, it it's messy. Would be the thing I would I would uh, say about it, right? Like it it's it's not this highly optimized things, but teams essentially starting in about July and August start writing what their narratives are. But they've been doing the the work. They've been going to the gym every day because they're studying their metrics. They're 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 thinking about the ideas they could do. Then they write them up. And then there's a month or two of high intensity uh, meetings where these narratives get floated up the organization to finally the S team that spends literally weeks uh, in a conference room. Everybody attends, reads all of the narratives, and then they make their decisions. And that's how you know resource allocation gets made. The finance organization at Amazon is a tremendously strategic finance organization and they're kind of the 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 caretakers of all of it making sure that decisions and resources and commitments all get added up and tallied um and um but you know it, 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 at least when I was there and I, and I and I still have feelers in there today like it's not this highly um uh optimized process but it 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 doesn't have to be the things that have to be highly optimized are like how we deliver, you know, 2 million packages a day to customers. Those things have to be highly optimized. Like how we do all of these other internal things, like it's more important that you just, you know, prize the exercise and make it a priority. Um, and it doesn't, you know, everything else can be a little messy underneath it. That's amazing. I mean, just the, the whole innovation system and the idea that um, it doesn't have to be you know, perfect or optimized. I've seen, you know, it's always messy inside of a company, right? It's never the, you know, the optimized smoothly running machine that people imagine that it might be on the outside, particularly, you know, from the most innovative um, disciplined uh, companies and brands. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I work with companies, you know, and, and what'll happen is somebody, well, we have to get a system for managing this innovation. It's like, no, we don't, man. Like we can do this on, on Excel and, and uh, a whiteboard. Um, let's get into it and start creating some inputs and outputs. And then we'll figure out like 
you know, how we how we make it our own and manage it better down the road. But this this is an experimentation in itself. Right. And do it fast. Do it cheap. And, um, um, you know, do it from a perspective of of let's start making a difference out there in the field and have a sense of urgency to get to learnings and to testing versus a sense of urgency for anything else. Yeah, I mean, that really plays into the stubborn on vision, flexible on tactics and um, experimentation um, approach and mindset that you talked about. Um, maybe let's switch um, around to look at um, Amazon from a both a customer perspective, meaning a consumer, but also a partner perspective, you know, companies that sell on Amazon. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the introduction, I've always believed that how a company shows up on Amazon is more important than all the other marketing that they do, particularly in an age when, you know, nearly three quarters of all product searches begin on Amazon, which, you know, a couple of years ago, it was 50%. And a couple of years before that, it was 40% and 30. So that has um, skyrocketed. And it's actually, you know, put a massive dent in Google's business, obviously, um, in search. So if I'm a product company that's selling on Amazon, how do I win? I know that's a well, very simple I mean, question, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it, it's not that much different than your playbook um, for um, the rest of your business. It always starts with a compelling value proposition. If, if, your, if your product is, is mediocre, that's that's always a tougher haul than having an an outstanding brand with with a great value proposition to customers. But then it's it's really about you know understanding the combination of availability, content, um, fulfillment is an ease, effortless uh, delivery, and being in what's called FBA fulfillment by Amazon, planning that inventory, and then you know, driving traffic, a lot of which comes through, you know, organically and understanding the keywords and how you optimize content to those keywords, but then also driving advertising uh, through through AMS, the Amazon um, marketing systems. And, you know, so it's that it's that same set of maneuvers that you do, but, you know, it's a it's a specialized ecosystem there's a you know there's a ton of great partners that really understand each and all of those different drivers, but it, it you know having a great product and a great brand always makes it uh, a whole lot easier. The the thing I would say is I I, I deal with I, I've seen some companies who are like well we're not going to participate on the Amazon marketplace. So it's like it's like oh no you are participating on the Amazon marketplace because others are representing your brand there you're just choosing not to manage and it's such a a, a major um, marketplace today that you have to manage your brand uh, at Amazon and I think that's the the thing that's changed over the past you know seven eight years is is you kind of have to be at Amazon or somebody else is managing your brand. Yeah, exactly. The things I've learned from um, companies and clients and partners who have done very well on Amazon are, you know, um, to build on what you had said there, 
they're masters of uh, DTC to begin with, right? They're great at direct-to-consumer. What they've figured out how to do is to adapt their DTC model on Amazon to Amazon, use all the data, use all the resources, and figure out how to maximize it in you know, the Amazon universe, um, which in essence is another country, um, is really the mindset. But they've said there's so much data, there's so many resources, there's so many things you can leverage to help you succeed, but you need to have the mindset of saying, this is a, you know, a direct to consumer universe that is even more optimized than the one we've built on our own already. And we can succeed there if we kind of use all the tools, data and technology that they give us. Yeah. And there's a, there's a ton of um, really interesting tools out there that can help you understand the details of a, of a product design that, you know, can create marginal little differences in in either customer demand or customer feedback relative to product design. And so it's a it can be a tremendously uh, powerful experimentation platform to work back into your design process around, you know, product or service design. And that's what a lot of the leading companies are doing is really, you know, turning Amazon into a rapid uh, product experimentation platform to create and understand the little nuances of whether it's product design or content descriptions that over time make a big difference in 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 both the customers you win as well as customer feedback. What are those tools or what's that suite called that companies are using to do that with? I'm blanking on uh, a couple of the names right now. We can now. come back Sorry to it. Don't that. worry about it. It'll come to you while okay. we're talking. It, it, sure. it, it, as I mentioned, it's not the world I operate in uh, today. The thing I can say is there is a ton of uh, equity out there, these big aggregators of these brands that are buying up these uh, Amazon marketplace brands and, and working at this platform of, of machine learning driven um uh, product design and and content uh, refinement to help companies do that. So um, fascinating story around that, building on what you just talked about there is we were doing some work with a traditional category leader in consumer products. I can't or won't say more about it. They were getting demolished on Amazon, um, you know, and in this age where three quarters of product searches start on Amazon, they were invisible. Um, nobody cared about their background, their heritage, and they were being beaten by kind of no-name commodity um, you know, companies that no one had really ever heard of, but were showing up higher in search, had great reviews, were available, um, shipping immediately, better priced, et cetera, et cetera. So you had this traditional category captain and category leader that you know was winning in all the traditional bricks and mortar retailers, but getting destroyed in direct to consumer and on Amazon because they you know never really had pivoted to understand that business. And it's something that we're seeing again and again. So there's really a way to take insights, learning, um, data, you know, um, MLAI, all those things from Amazon and use it to drive your design development and even your innovation process in a product company. That's another big, you know, big thing on top of, you know, being great at direct to consumer. 
That's right. That's really interesting. Um, and on marketplace, you know, one of the things that you always hear as, um, you know, one of the complaints about it by um, brands that, you know, choose not to participate on there is the policing of counterfeits or, you know, policing of different, you know, brand violations on there and why Amazon doesn't do anything about that. Is that something you can speak to at all? Well, I, I only know what is out there in the in the public, but I think that no doubt Amazon can do more. I think that they have developed a number of programs to help brands uh, do a better job at, at managing their brand at Amazon and having that type of control. I, I think most importantly, they they adjusted. So in the Amazon way, I suggested a fifteenth leadership principle that was was very broad as a leadership principle could be. Um, shortly after I released the book, and I'm not taking credit for this, but it did happen after I released the book, they actually added two um, new leadership principles. And one of them is called success and scale brings broad responsibility. And I think underneath that leadership principle, they, they, are, they, are, they are subtly saying, yes, we need to do some better things relative to being a better partner, uh, helping brands, be, being a better community member um, also because they are such an oversized influence. So I think these are, you know, the as it is with any company or person, your greatest strengths also can become your weaknesses. Amazon is an entrepreneurial company. We grew up being doubted, having to be scrappy, um, and having to fight uh, for everything. And so those very traits sometimes get in the way of recognizing how to be a great partner and um, how to offer a fair and level playing field to everybody, which is actually a complex um, uh, topic to manage in a platform. But I think you're starting to see Amazon turn the corner on, on those types of topics. No doubt there's still a number of challenges, but some of those are just international um, IP protection challenges um, that, that go on today. The platform just um, makes them much more visible and scales them. What do you think you know, ultimately could be the Achilles heel of Amazon. You know, companies find ways to beat them um, in isolated areas. For example, um, a client of ours in the Boston area uh, was kind of doing a lot of damage to them in the cloud storage area, as an example, right? There, there are places um, almost like the Death Star. There's one way you can find to get the bomb inside and blow the whole thing up, right? But, you know, if you see it as a former insider who sees the company, you know, now from the outside, do you see an Achilles heel there? I think the Achilles heel of Amazon is when they stop being an attractive place for great talent, especially great technical talent. And I, that is the challenge for Amazon is to continue to be a magnet for incredible talent, being a place where you can be a builder um, and um, actually, you know, build and launch products and services that, that matters to others, which is what a, a real builder 
likes to do. And, and so that to me would be it. I, I get asked a lot like, oh my gosh, how can we ever, you know, compete or when it's like, I, I actually, I think it's the best time ever to be a, a small company or to try to find those, those, those niches in place. Amazon actually is, is relatively easy uh, to compete against in small, um, narrow areas on specific niches um, and things like that. But, but, you know, I see too many times people like giving up and saying, well, it's, uh, you know, it's up to, you know, they're a monopoly and it's up to our government to do this and everything. It's like, it's like, if that's your plan, good luck. Um, Cause that's a, it's not happening and B they're not a monopoly. Um, and so I do think that some, some policy changes are in, in order. Um, but that's not Amazon's job to figure out. That's our, our, our policymakers jobs uh, to figure out. The riches are in the niches is what a CEO that I used to work for used to say all the time. And there's, you know, tons of opportunity out there um, depending on how and where you look for it. Right. Yeah. Um, a couple of the things you mentioned um, as we talk through Amazon were, um, you know, design, innovation, and brand. And maybe I'd love to hear how you define design. Um, you talked about it very much in the context of designing a business, designing a process, designing a way of doing things. Um, but when I say the word design, what does it mean to you? Well, to, to, to me, it is a holistic perspective of, you know, target customer, value proposition, go to market, business model, and then all the things you need to do underneath it. A lot of what I work in is a business model design or a business design. And so to me, it's that holistic understanding of how are you going to do something that is appealing and that is going to work from a business standpoint what the plan is, what the design and what the options are relative to that. So to me, that's what design is. And, and too often people get focused on, on one narrow component. And well, the, the biggest problem is they all want to start with the P&L uh, relative to that um, and not all of those inputs or other factors that go into a business model. Yeah, it's fascinating to hear you describe design that way. I think it's a massive competitive advantage for companies that understand that, you know, design isn't just a bunch of kind of sensitive people who wear black and draw with nice pencils, um, but really understand that it's a holistic way of understanding the customer and connecting it to everything that you do. And the companies that do that seem to be the ones that win again and again. Um, how do you define brand then kind of in connection yeah. to that? That's a that's a good question. Uh, to me, brand is what your customer promise is. Like, what what do you want to be famous for? That to me is the promise you make to your customer. And then, do you live up to that brand promise or not? Which um, you know, you talked about being able to attract talent. Um, a brand promise isn't just to customers; it's to you know your staff. Um, and as an employer, your brand um, ultimately has to be um, the same thing to, you know, your staff and to potential um, employees as it is to customers. And if there's a gap between there, you're going to have a lot of trouble, right? You're, you're kind of caught out and that gap gets seen all the time. Um, one of the principles that I learn from this podcast all the time and speaking with all these kind of agents of innovation is um, in their companies, in their organizations is people, 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 talent, talent, talent. 
right? It's the one thing that no matter what, um, you need to be able to attract, retain the best people all the time. Um, how do you see that companies that you're working with, particularly the clients you're working with, are able to do that right now in such a, you know, a competitive market where there's a war for talent? Well, I think um, at the end of the day, the best people like to have accountability and support to get meaningful work done versus fighting against, you know, the bureaucracy and the system. And a a caliber people want to be given a mission and the ability to help execute on that mission and a great team in order to do it. Um, lower uh, capable team members actually like to hide behind the bureaucracy that slows everything down. And so to me, the, the best companies that are able to do it are actually enable their people are clear about the mission. So A, you have to make a promise, right? The promise like, well, this is the mission and you have to get that right. Like in, in one of those mistakes people make is like, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, build this innovation center or whatever, but really it's it's an operating job. Well, that that's a misalignment um, that goes on there. So you have to make a great proposition that is authentic to what you do. And then create the right supports relative to that right mission. And if you, if you do that in an authentic way and in a consistent way, then you're, you're going to, you're going to deliver to expectations. To me, like uh, one of my theories about life is all of life is about setting expectations correctly at the beginning. And then you have a chance of meeting or exceeding those right too often. Um, Companies, people don't understand how important the promise is up front. My whole, you know, career has been primarily about client engagement. And the hardest conversations I have with clients are up front because I'm telling them about, you know, this is the battle we are entering into together. I'm setting expectations, right? My job is always to create change, right? I'm never there to be the status quo guy. And so what I warn them is I am going to push you. I am going to call you out. I am going to challenge you. I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to say some dumb things, some incorrect things. I need you to understand that up front so that you, you know, essentially don't fire me halfway through the, the, the job here because I am doing the job. Are we on the same page? Or that? That's the type of expectation setting that needs to go on um, between you know, hiring and and um, creating employees and great employees love that type of clarity. Um, and you're going to do a better job at forming a team. Clarity of mission. Um, you've been yeah. in these, you know, incredibly high performance cultures um, in them, around them, working with them uh, for quite some time. And one of the themes I often talk about on the show here is the idea of the executive athlete. Um, kind of how do you um, maintain high performance, peak performance every day and the habits that are part of it. Um, what are the things that you do to enable you to perform at your best all the time? You know, we talked about you're coming straight from the gym onto the show today. Right, right, right. Well, I, uh, um, you know, I think one is this habit of writing and, um, and I've seen this across, 
multiple organizations, multiple leaders, and, and people think of it as this introspective, you know, it's like writing your thoughts out is a superpower to clarity and prioritization. So, so writing is a key one. Uh, I started my career at uh, at Arthur Anderson. One of the great killer habits that that I learned as a as a as a young staff associate at Arthur Anderson is create a weekly and then a daily to do list. Simple thing, right? But it, it's amazing how many people don't rule their day, and they don't rule their day because they are not list makers, right? <laughs> List makers rule the world. Um, and then I think, you know, the, the other things like I, I don't think there's anything uh, unique um, or killer about it. But, you know, especially, as, you know, I'm in my 50s now. And, um, it's just sleep is just, you know, a, a vital thing. Bezos talks about like, yeah, I get eight hours of sleep every day and I, I only make uh, important decisions before noon and everything. Right. Like those that type of awareness but, you know, what you continue to see is people who have this, you know, warrior mentality and, and they actually they're operating half drunk because they're 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 not fit. They don't have a good hydration. Uh, they, they don't uh, sleep enough, but yet they they think that they're actually doing their job. And I would argue, you know, just the opposite, like you're not fit to operate right now. And so I do believe um, in the connection between uh personal wellness and your ability to to fit your job and especially the more senior level you are the more you have to be aware of being at your best to make a few high important decisions and orientating yourself to understand it's a different job and your job is to make a few really important decisions versus lots of little decisions. That was probably your job 10 years ago. That awareness um, needs to develop and and putting yourself in the best position to do it. So um, with that kind of high performance lifestyle that you lead and sleep and all those things that you do, are there tools, technologies, um, you know, habits that you follow as closely as you can every day that you can share? Um, I mean, a couple of little things um, like I, I, I like the aura ring. I think that that's been uh, a, a nice piece of, 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 uh, of data and awareness uh, and everything. I about um, I, I, I learned this one of my one of my favorite shows or podcasts is um, The Move, which is Lance Armstrong and George Hincapie's and Johan Bernil's um, podcast ostensibly about biking, but it's actually, it's a, it's a comic show, uh, and a performance show, but you know, one of the products that they, um, market is, uh, called LMNT, uh, which is uh, element, um, which is a, a salt replenishment drink that I actually find really effective, uh, for me, I tend to get dehydrated and, um, that's been really effective. So, um, and I, I do a, a ton of, yoga and stretching. Um, it's just, I used to bike a lot. Um, I've lifted weights and as you get older, your body just becomes this set of imbalances, right. And, and, and tightness I've had, um, a number of, uh, I, I swim some, so I've had a number of shoulder issues and it's just like, it's all connected. And the path for me has just been understanding those imbalances and being deliberate in trying to, 
um, counterbalance those with different strengths uh, and things like that. But that daily personal physical therapy routine has been to, to me the thing that I've really had to change um, over the past, you know, five to seven years. It's amazing. I feel uh, very much in parallel to you because I do a lot of the same things. Instead of an aura, I've been wearing a whoop for a long time. I swear by it. Um, I've been listening to the moves since it first came out. Um, I'm a big fan of the forward and I've been yeah, a exactly. fan yeah. of Lance's for many, many, many years. Um, I swear by chocolate milk. I'm big on sleep and work out every morning that there is. Also do my daily and weekly to-do list as well. Um, so it's really cool to hear um, a lot of those same things that you do. It, 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 and, you know, it all. so much of it comes back to, you know, the basics. And people want these, you know, unique breakthrough ideas. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's like um, – high performance athletics, right? Everybody wants the championship moments, but it's years of going to the gym, being deliberate about your practice, building both fitness and skill that creates then the opportunities for the championship moments. Same way in a career. It's all of this essentially daily going to the gym, these little habits that then create the moments of being for for the championship moment and and it's that the those daily habits those little things the obvious things that are so easy to get lazy about over time that i think really um add up over time and and give you the the both the insights and the skills to be able to have your own personal championship moments yeah i'm a huge believer in the power of habit atomic habits right both of those books as well as the um the Team Sky idea of um, marginal gains, right? And Sir Dave Brailsford and everything that's happened there in the cycling world, uh, which is really cool to hear. Um, well, John, this has been an incredible conversation, um, very revealing, very eye-opening. Um, you're not only an agent of innovation, but you're someone who works with agents of innovation every day. Um, and it was amazing to hear your stories, your tips, your tricks, and all your insights on the worlds that you've been in. Um, can't thank you enough for being on today. Um, I do want to make sure we share with the listeners a couple of things. One is your newsletter that you're putting out uh, weekly now, right? Which that's, That's right. the digital leader, um, and you can find it on Substack. Um, again, Substack.com and the digital leader if you search for it. John's website is uh, Rossman, R-O-S-S-M-A-N, partners.com, as well as the AmazonWay.com. And you can find the Amazon Way book on Amazon, as well as John's other books. So uh, thanks again for joining today, John, and look forward to seeing all the great things you continue to do. David, thanks for all your work. I, I really uh, enjoy the podcast and it's been nice getting awesome. to know you. Thank you, John. Hey, this is Dave Kniece, the host and creator of the Agents of Innovation podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode and please reach out if I can help you. You can get me at dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. Again, dk at agentsofinnovation.dk. Thanks again for listening.